0: Thank you Lord. father I ask for the tangible weighty presence of heaven right here in this place this morning in Jesus name amen I was watching a, a, a YouTube documentary with Levi and Julia last night, just a short, short documentary, about Tomorrowland. Anybody know about Tomorrowland? Yeah. And um, it's like, yeah, it's EDM, but it's next level stuff. I mean, the, the excellence that goes into it is probably better than Walt Disney. Walt Disney is excellent, you know, Disneyland. Anybody been to Disneyland? Everybody, Yeah. <clears throat> So you you know that level of excellence, Tomorrowland is a festival, it's a music festival where the level of excellence I think is way above even Disneyland and it's a five day music festival where people dance and other things non-stop and I was watching it yesterday, you know, you you try not, you don't want to be that guy, you don't want to be that judgmental guy, you know. You know, like, I'm thinking, I wonder who they are worshipping. You know? And I didn't want to be that guy, but I just, I just watched the whole thing. And I, I realized again that if we, in any way, live comparatively to the, to, to the world, to what the world gives us or presents to us, um, Christianity... I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking uh, like, if, like, just like the world. Christianity really has nothing to offer. I'm serious. If you look at what goes on at festivals like that, Christ, Jesus, Jesus, Christians, what? Church? And, and simultaneously, I realize that there's a, there's a dimension in us. Not just a dimension, but... Each one of us, we created with this, with this built-in, every single human being on this planet, without a shadow of a doubt, with this built-in desire to worship something, without a doubt, with, to worship something. And, and uh, I don't know if it's really if it's a good comparison, but I, just, I, I think that it's so healthy for us sometimes to be very sober-minded in the life that we live, in the context that we live in the time that we are alive, and in the, in the city and the culture in which we live. that I say culture twice? It's so important for us to soberly evaluate where we are at. Because genuinely, in, in, in actuality, if you have encountered God and the Spirit of God, your life cannot be the same. It literally cannot stay the same. It cannot stay the same when I was in Romania a couple of weeks ago, I had this picture just before I was speaking at one of the meetings, and I felt the Lord say to me, you cannot dive into a swimming pool. Did I tell you this last week? You cannot dive into a swimming pool and expect realistically to stay dry. You, 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 you can't do it. And, and neither, neither can you have an encounter with, with, the, with, the, with the Lord of hosts, with the lover of our soul with the king of glory, with the reigning king who's coming back to rule and reign with his, with, his, with his beautiful church. You cannot have an encounter with that God and realistically expect that nothing changes. It's, 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 it's unreal. And I, I, I think that there's something, there's something and I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this because I don't want to communicate this in and out scenario. Like you are excluded or included by the decisions you make or anything like that. But, but I remember clearly, and I'll never forget it, probably until the day I die, I was 21 years old, I walked into a little chapel, I was vehemently resisting the things of God. I didn't want to know about God. In fact, the guy that stayed in the bed next to me, this is in the army, I said to him, if you talk to me about Jesus, if you sing another Jesus song, I'm literally going to collar you with that guitar that you're playing right now. I'm going to take it and smash it over your head. And I was angry and bitter, vehemently resisting God. And 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 one night he came back, and they left to go to chapel, just about five or six of them, little chapel on this army base. And he came back an hour later. He says, Yaku, he stood at the door. I was lying on the bed. He says, I know you asked me never to do this again. But listen, man, we are all down there in the chapel, all five of us, and I just felt the Lord say to come back and to just invite you one more time. I stood up. And I walked with Martin, and as I was walking, I I don't know, it was like 300 meters to this chapel. I was fighting. The biggest war was going on inside my soul. And the minute I walked into the door, I'm not saying that God dwells in buildings, but as I walked into that temple, I had an encounter with God that forever would change my life. It's something that satisfied me at a level that nothing else could. I love jazz. Jazz. I love jazz. And one of the highlights of my jazz life was when Kath and I, we were in New York City, we went to the Village Vanguard. Has anyone heard of the Village Vanguard? If you know jazz, you'll know that everybody recorded live at the Village Vanguard. It is the quintessential jazz club in North America. We got tickets to the Vanguard. We walked in and I was riveted. I was riveted. We got seats right at the table. The sweat of the double bass player was falling on my arm. LAUGHTER I was like, whoa, don't wipe it. (laughs) Right next to me, Catherine was sleeping on my shoulder. (laughs) The point I'm trying to make is I was so entertained that night. I absolutely loved every second. It was worth a hundred bucks we paid, hands down, or more. It was absolutely amazing. But one thing I realized... It, 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 it soothed my soul. It was awesome. But it honestly, genuinely, with all the truth and honesty that I can muster, it couldn't even come close to the encounter I had with Jesus Christ and the subsequent encounters that I've had with Jesus Christ. And all of our lives are like that. We go through the darkest valleys, like we're just saying this morning with Psalm 130, where we feel that God has literally forgotten us. We feel totally forsaken. We cry, but we hear nothing. We plead, we beg for things to change and transform, but they they don't. And we don't understand when God says, don't worry, I'm there with you in that place because I'm trying to do something in you that you'll never respond to until you actually get to an emotional place where you are able to do nothing and you actually surrender. You actually surrender. And then there are other times when I feel like we are shouting on the mountains, it's like... It's bright, sunny day, crystal clear water, and nothing can go wrong. Last night, to me, felt like a glimpse like that. It was so, the presence of the Lord was so, like, for real in this place. It felt like we didn't even have to do anything. God was just moving. So we have these dynamics in our lives where we encounter Jesus. And then when Jesus allows us to go, to go it, because he's doing, to go it alone, because he's doing something in us that we can't see. And we should stop trying to see. We should just believe Him. Persevere in the valleys. And if we see each other in the valleys, and we say, you can do it, remember the promises. Remember what Jesus said. Remember the encounter you had. After I encountered God, or God encountered me, whatever that was, both of us, we counted each other, but mainly I encountered His love. His overwhelming love. That's what it always has been. Every time I encounter God, I feel like I'm fully accepted. That's a big deal to me. Maybe it isn't a big deal to you. Maybe you were born feeling that you always accept that you can do whatever you want. But not for me. For me, my encounters with God is a liquid love. It's the best way I can describe it. I feel like I'm swimming in a liquid love. It's overwhelming. It makes me hyper-emotional. I feel like God's love overwhelms me. But simultaneously, I feel like God points, points me in the direction. And those encounters with God spoil me for everything else in life. I cannot, I cannot stay the same. I have to change. When I encounter Jesus, He is transforming me and changing me, and us, and you. And that is the thing that I want to speak a little bit about today. Renewal. Please say it. Renewal. Renewal. The scripture says that God makes all things new. That God's desire is that none should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of who He is. That the transformational process of God is an ongoing thing, and we never graduate from it. Until we breathe our last breath, we're literally stepping from this realm into the realm where it's more always more tangible. Where we will see face to face. We will no longer judge looking in a mirror and reflection, but we will see His face. We will instantly be in His glory. And everything in this world will be, all the worries and the troubles will be gone. There will be no more sick, no more anxiety, no more worry, no more cultural preferences that, that, that is pervasive in our thinking. We'll be free. But while we are here... We are living on purpose. Please say it with me. We are living on purpose. God's purpose. And so none of this will really mean anything on this side of encountering Jesus. My heart's desire is that we all will encounter Jesus in a way that nobody ever needs to persuade us. And so this sermon cannot be that. It cannot be me trying to convince anybody of anything. Because after I encountered Jesus at the age of 21 in that little chapel in the army, when I had a sniff, it was like supernatural. I didn't even know. I had a sniff of some Christians getting together somewhere. I'd be like, what? what, When? What time? Oh, no, we have to do it after lights out. And if if the corporals catch us, we know the next day we're going to run 21Ks with ammunition cases on our back. I was like, so what? Let's do it. What time? Where are we? Secretly with meat at 10 30. We couldn't sing loud. We were like, praise you, Jesus. Up in the mountains. But nothing, nothing could keep me away. If I had to miss a meal, and trust me, in the army, don't, you live for your meals. I would miss it just to be together with other believers, just to encounter again. It became the ultimate high, the ultimate drug. It became my everything, encountering Jesus. And guys, that has nothing to do with your personality type. Introverts, extroverts, nothing to do with it. We are all born to worship, and we become like the one we worship. And we are drawn by the incredible love of God into His presence, into His glory, with open arms all the time. All the time. Does that make you excited? Wow, nothing to do with my notes yet, so let's go. In in Mark chapter 2, verse 22, Jesus speaks about new wineskins, new wineskins, now you know what a wineskin was, in those days they didn't have bottles like us, so they made sacks from animal skin, and there was an amazing process to this, it's actually, there's some YouTube documentaries on it, you can see how they make wineskins and how they prepare them and cure them and get them ready so they are supple, so they can can hold a new wineskin, and Jesus said you can't put new wine in an old wineskin, now that's a big deal. Okay? Because of the fact that both will be lost. The old wineskin and the new wine. Both will be lost. The old wine skin, The problem with old wineskins is that it be- they become rigid. They become s- stiff. So and that's how you tell an old wineskin. If you look at a wineskin and you touch it and it doesn't move, it's old. If you try and shape it, it's old. It doesn't move, it's old. It's become hard and it's no longer good for anything except it needs to be thrown away. Broken, it's obsolete. It needs to go. So if we want the new wine, right, we cannot have it in the old wineskin because both will be lost. It's simple, isn't it? Simple, isn't it? Yet, yet, we try to do that. For me, that is the context of this renewal that Jesus speaks about all the time. Some people call it revival. And the bottom line of this is when you encounter Jesus, when Jesus saves you because he gave his life for us, he shed his blood for us, and God and his power rose him from the dead. So he's alive. So he is literally the only one that can save us. Save us, right? Uh, once we are saved, now just picture this story. Let me just picture to So you're in the Baltic Sea, all right? You fell out of an airplane and supernaturally you're alive. There's a fishing boat in the Baltic Sea that's a stormy night. You are out there. You have seven more minutes and then you're dead of hypothermia. There's a bright light. There's people screaming in a different language you don't understand, and it's you screaming back. And they've seen you, and they and they spotted you, and they're making their way to you. It's a Russian fishing vessel up there in the Baltic Sea illegally, and they're shining their lights on you, and they save you. They throw a buoy out. What will you do with the buoy? You'll grab it for sure. You'll grab it. Uh, you'll not say, guys, is this an inflatable buoy? Is it hard? Is this what? Is this toxic? Maybe the paint. ...on the buoy, do you think it will hold my weight? I'm not sure, guys. I don't know. if No, you'll grab it with all your might. You'll grab this buoy. And once they drag you out eventually on the deck, ...they will not say, very nice to meet you. We are so happy you are on board. And go inside their cabins and have tea. No, they will take you in. And it's a very, very simple analogy, but it's so powerful. Because after you've been rescued out of the Baltic Sea, ...you need to be changed... You need to be dry immediately. You need to be re-clothed. You need to become warm. You need to be clothed. Right? Right? Therefore salvation, salvation, if Jesus saves us, cannot stay there because it's not a ticket. It's not a seat you buy in a train going to heaven. It's not like a pass into the pearly gates. Salvation is the time where Jesus takes a hold of your life and an awareness of who God is starts to grow inside of you and with it begins the process of renewal. Renewal. Therefore, salvation without renewal equals dead works, religion, crusty wineskins, the old. So it's simple. If you work it back, like if you deconstruct the cheesecake, you'll have a plate with five, six little elements on it, that like people, the, the modern chefs think it's like super cool, there's deconstructed cheesecake, when, when you know all the effort is really to mix the whole thing together, and to eat it as one piece, they deconstruct it. If you work backwards, if you deconstruct this, if the process of transformation is not taking place in your life, we must ask ourselves eventually, how do we really get to the place where we believe that Jesus saved us? And then, And then, be honest enough, Aware enough, like Paul says repeatedly to Timothy, to Peter says as well, of, the, of, the, of the, vow, the, the schemes of the enemy. One of the schemes of the enemy today is that, yeah, 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 i go to church, I'm saved. No, no. And we need to be sober minded enough to say, Lord, when I encountered you, how is the process of renewal continued from that moment in my life? It's a, it's a massive question. Because individual renewal, transformation, results in corporate renewal and transformation. True? True. The fathers of old used to call this process sanctification. Where you live and walk and breathe and move in God. He shapes the framework of your view of the world. And you live and move in. In him, And anything that is not according to God's plan for you, for others, which is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, God will address in your life and will require change. Because one thing that stays consistent in renewal is change. The only thing that does not change is change, change, transformation. So if we want new wine, who wants new wine? In those days, new wine was better than old wine in, 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 in those days. So I want new wine for sure, which means that if I settle, I compromise my future, which is new wine. Got it? Which is the, the continual process of sanctification. So God intends for us not to be stagnate or to stop growing. God is always about making all things new. This is literally the pattern of renewal that I'm going to try and explain. But humans generally, generally search to find a place of equilibrium, a place of, 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 okay, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. A place where everything's predictable, everything is, is cool, and I just want to stay there. A place where I can live in the predictable pattern with no necessity to change. And that's why this is not really a, like a super popular message, because it will demand something from us. Our journey with God will never end like that. And therefore, God will always challenge these spaces and places in our lives to lead us into the new. That's why he said to his disciples, if you want to be my follower, my disciple, you must follow me. Which means he leads and we follow. What he says, we do. We love to be with him. We we genuinely love to be with Jesus. We love to, to become like him. We want to be like Jesus. Be like him. And then we want to do what Jesus does. So... The realization of of, 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 um, is that for the new new of God to come, we need to ask ourselves what needs to change. This this consistent reality in our life change. And sometimes we think um, um, sometimes we think we know. But but I want to say in the world that we live in today, this is super practical. uh, You won't know what what God wants to do for you until you stop and redeem time. If so, so I was just listening to uh, um, Mark, Mark Sayers who wrote this book called uh, the, uh, the Reappearing Church. He wrote a book called The Disappearing Church, which dealt with Christendom or the way that we think church should be in North America. It was disappearing and people were falling apart. What's going on? And then he wrote this book called Reappearing Church. And he writes about um, um, this, this need for change um, and, and, he, and he speaks about the, the, the CEO of Netflix So Netflix is just one platform. There are thousands of platforms that compete for our time and for our attention. I left home this morning on purpose, okay? And I counted from the time where I turned onto Main Street, from my house onto Main Street, I turned left. I drove before I got to Superstore, okay? There were over 100 signs. From the corner... It's like two, 200, 200 meters. Signs, yeah, S-I-G-N-S, right? Signs that grab your attention. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, I know they're trying to say, okay, this is where we're at. The pet store's here. This is there, there, there. But there is this competitive reality in the world that we live for our attention and for our time. Netflix's strategy right now is to take our sleeping time. And they, they, they use it as an ad. They use it as an ad. It's like, guys, we are coming for you and what we want from you is obviously your $13.99 a month, but we want your sleep time. We want your time when you sleep. So two, three, four in the morning. There used to be a long little thing between episodes. All right? Now there's nothing. It's three seconds. So Jack Ryan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Three seconds. Okay. Okay, it's only one more. 45 minutes gone. Okay, only one more. You have no time. They steal your time. Mark Sayers says something so profound. Profound. We are created to worship. Okay, listen to this. I hope I can communicate this well. If we choose to take the time back. Okay, guys, listen to me. I am not talking to you from a moral soapbox right here. I am in this with you. Okay, please, honestly probably more than most of you. If we intentionally take the time, just start with TV, start with Netflix, start with Instagram, start start there, start with the media profile platforms that you have on your phone. Kijiji is my weakness. I don't even need new tires, but I'm looking for 25, 40, 65. Why? I can't help it. I'm on Kijiji looking for... If we take that time intentionally and we take it back, it's called Redemption. Okay? We are called as the followers of Jesus to redeem culture, time, space. Wherever we are, we are called to bring everything back and reconcile all things back to God. If we take that time, that time instantly becomes redeemed time, which makes that time holy. Holy. This building is so pretty. I think hundreds of people have told me, Yaku, this building is so beautiful. Some people even walk in and go, wow, I can feel the presence. I can't feel the presence in this place unless you guys are here. Because it's it's us that makes this building holy. Get it? You can drive down there. There's a church just like this, a bit bigger, and five dentists have bought it. And I can promise you none of those kids lying on those dentist chairs feels holy. Because I wouldn't. I would hate the place. Bring me into a place there's a dentist chair. I instantly hate that stained glass. But we redeem it. And by redeeming it, we make it holy. And when it's holy, it becomes something sacred because it becomes a space of worship. The world is competing for our time. If we are those bumbo Christians, like, yeah, 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 we'll never be aware of that. And if we don't ask the question, we'll never be aware. We'll be entertained by church. We'll be entertained by the world. And we'll never taste the sip of the new wine. And then we'll wonder, why is this guy so passionate, so fanatic? I have no desire. Because we've never redeemed anything. Sacrificially taken back a bit of time to make it holy, and then it becomes a space of worship. It's a different mode, this renewal mode. What do we need to start doing and what do we need to stop doing? So for renewal to come in our lives is not just a bunch of new activities. It's what are we doing that we we can go without? Ask yourself, what do you think makes the wheels turn in your life that if you remove yourself from that, the wheels might still be turning? I think you'll be surprised. I, I don't think that the world needs us to make the wheels turn all the time. And I think when we, when, we, when, we, when we say, Lord, I want a new wineskin. I want a new wineskin, so tell me, tell me what you want, Lord. And we literally make the time, even if we start small, and we create that time. The desire within us will grow for the things of God without a shadow of a doubt. Without a doubt. And, and, and we'll love the presence and encountering of Jesus in our lives. And it will become the stimulus. And as a result of it, we will be changed by it. We'll become like him. There's no way we're going to become like Jesus by copycatting him. Did you hear me? If you memorize all the scripture, it will help you nothing until it becomes who you are. We cannot be copycats of Christians and of Jesus. It's a transformational renewal that starts with us redeeming. Redeeming. So it's not what more must, oh God, I'm so busy now, and now this dude's telling me to do more. No, I'm telling you, look at things that you can do less and enter into that, that, that grace, that rhythm. So if the patterns we live by does not bring renewal, they're probably never going to bring renewal. Okay? You know the definition of insanity is thinking you can do the same thing and and things will change? No, it won't. If things aren't changing in the pattern of your life, it probably never will change. You'll probably regress more and more. Please can someone open a window? I'm dying of heat in here. Someone else hot. (laughs) Vicks, just that window right there, please. So... They're probably never going to change. And so the future, which means something has to change. And that means that we have to change. And that means I have to change. Thanks, guys. So transformation will never come from the outside in. This is so big. It will come from the inside out. And if we change, I change. And if I change, we change. And that's the perpetual reality of the body of Christ. And that's how renewal comes. You know what happened last night in worship? I know I'm always pumping up the worship. God was obviously moving. And you know what happened? People were obedient. I love that. It's a beautiful word. It's not a dirty word. It's beautiful. And people, as they heard God, literally came up here, said something, and what happened? There was a release. And then someone else came and said something, and there was a release in the spirit. And you could literally feel the ease and the impact of the presence of Jesus among us. To bring exhortation. To lift. To encourage. To exhort. Why? Me. I have to change. I have to change. And if I change, we change. It's not if the worship team gets a funky new bass player, which we just got, or if the worship team, you know, if we get a smoke machine, or if we get cooler cards for visitors, or if, which is impossible, we get better coffee. No, guys, no. Those are cool things on the peripherals. But they come with an inner transformation of the individual done by the presence of Jesus Christ as we stop, become aware of the world, stealing everything from us. Not that the world is our enemy. We love it, but we're not of it. We're not of it. And the reason why we're not of it is because God's purposes must prevail. And they only prevail through the church. I promise you. I promise you. It's only through the church. There's no, no political leader that can do it. Some, some, a year ago, two years ago, a year ago, we were at a breakfast. Eric and I were there. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a church breakfast. There was lots, hundreds of churches from around the area. It was in Mississauga in a big hotel. And uh, they, had, they had Andrew Shear was one of the speakers. Was it Andrew Shear? One of the guys or one of the speakers, the political guys were there. And the, the church was putting this on and one pastor was hosting it. The political leader gets up and he speaks. He speaks a whole bunch of hot air, waddle. I couldn't even understand what he was talking about. And then, after he spoke, Hazel McCallion. McCallion. Yeah. Hazel McCallion. How old is she? Like 150 What? <laughs> she was sitting at the table next to us, and the pastor said, um, Hazel, do you want to say a couple of words? Because she, was the, she was the mayor of Mississauga, and, and we had this big thing in Mississauga, She jumps out of her chair like jack-in-the-box and runs with skinny little legs, literally runs to the stage, runs up the stage, grabs the mic, hello everybody, I've got one thing to say after being in in, uh, this mayor for 59 or whatever, 89 years or whatever, there's only one hope for Canada, and it is God's plan through the church. Puts the mic down and runs down back to her seat. I was like in tears. And who is the church? We are the church. Who is the church? You are the church. I am the church. And that's how revival and renewal starts. Individual revival, renewal starts with that. And the two main predominant mindsets that people live by, okay? This is not my stuff. I'm copying this from from Mark Sayers' book, The Reappearing Church. It's fantastic if you want to read it. Uh, There are two mindsets. The first mindset is the fixed mindset, okay? The fixed mindset are those who finds their identity or their identity is connected to what they do. The fixed mindset. My identity comes from what I do and therefore if I fail at what I do or if if I'm not so good at what I do, uh, then I feel like a failure. If I'm good at what I do, then I feel great because my identity is rooted in what I do. And therefore, even experiencing success um, uh, could actually stop you from growing because it stumps you in the area of your identity. Identity. Identity is such a big deal in the body of Christ. And to move from an identity that is based on what we do, to understand that the renewal is about a continual personal growth, growing to become more like Christ. Okay? This growing in Christ-likeness is actually going to shake the foundations of our identity. So if you feel super insecure in your life, it might be the Holy Spirit shaking the foundations of your identity because you have a fixed mindset. And It's so cool that the old wineskin has a fixed profile. Some old wineskins you could literally crush. They become like powder because they're so fixed, stiff. Their identity is found in what they do. Matthew 5 is called the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. It's being with Jesus. Somebody said it last night, I think, about Martha and Mary Was Eros. Mary, Jesus said, Mary chose Martha. Mary, Mary chose the better because she wanted to be with Jesus. Martha wanted to do for Jesus. Have I got the names right here? And so, th- so that, that's this fixed mindset, and, 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 and it blocks us. And so, so accept and understand that growing is good, and that something is going to have to change in our lives, and it might shake our very foundations. So if you feel your foundation shaking, don't think God has forsaken you. Think God is probably closer than ever before. All right. And the second one is the growth mindset. These are secular realities. This is not in the church. This is two mindsets in the world. One is the fixed, one is the growth. The growth mindset is when we understand that we need to be continually growing. It has nothing to do with age. I have seen 15-year-olds more religious than 85-year-olds. Look at Mary. Great example. Right? Yes. And the, most of us here. Yeah, no, most of you, for sure. So, the, so we cannot... Um, circumvent Jesus and His presence by doing things for Him. Does it make sense? Yeah. Now, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a oxymoron for the church because we you know we need help all the time, so we need to be doing things. Okay, so I'm not saying that we're all just cruising and we're just being. Let's just be, you know buy long robes and stuff. No, but we serve as sons, not as slaves. So so the sign of the growing mindset, the manifestation of that truth and reality in your life is always the desire to serve. But you can see very quickly when people's identity is found in what they do instead of who they are because they want to circumvent Jesus. A.W. Tozer said this, he prophesied this in the 50s, that by 1980s, there will be a mega church in the world that is, that, is, that is prospering, but Jesus is not there. We can do church without Jesus. Friends, oh my goodness, shoot me now. I'm not into that. The presence of Jesus Christ is everything, and we cannot circumvent that. What does His presence do? It brings renewal. And it cannot be dependent on programs or people's gifts starts with you and me, and then it will be us. Am I very repetitive? I feel like I'm speaking. All right, so, so, so what needs to change? And I'm almost done. Okay. Two scriptures, Colossians 3 verse 1 and 2 says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That means he's an absolute rest because he's an absolute authority. He's seated next to the Father. He's in charge. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So the heart and the mind set on heavenly things. That's why we try with all all of our hearts and minds here to create an environment where heaven can come down to earth. And if you've never by yourself just sat in your time with God and thought about what heaven must be like, then you'll never know what you want to bring down to earth. And then your reality will never change. Never change. So that's a great thing to do. So set your mind on those things. Jeremiah 50 verse 5. This is Jeremiah prophesying Israel was in slavery for many, many years. And then they got a sniff. It's like a horse. When you take a horse for a ride and, 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 and they turn and they have, a, they have like a whiff of the barn, or of of food back at the barn, it's very difficult for you to keep riding that horse away from the barn. Once they have a sniff of it, they turn around and they, 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 they gallop. Because they're going back. They've had a sniff. They're not going to do that. This is Israel, Jeremiah 5. They will ask the way to Zion, and they will turn their faces and their affection towards it. And they will come and bind themselves to the Lord, in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. They will turn. What needs to change in your life? What needs to change in my life? Spending time. For sure. Time. And there basically are two things. When God calls us towards renewal, it will become obvious to us very quickly that we cannot do it. When we lived in, uh, in South Africa, we used to have this video series. Remember the VHS? The young guys? there used to be little plastic things, VHSs. And we, I, we had this series called God's Generals. Has anybody ever seen that? Just guys that sparked revival in history. I used to sit and watch this stuff, and it used to make me feel like I'm going to explode. I was going to explode. Watching A.A. A. Allen... People with massive growth in his neck walk up to the guy and slap him on the goiter, super loud. He falls down. In the name of Jesus, be healed. They pick him up, and the goiter's gone. Nothing. Gone. Miracles. Maria was with Eta. The submarines come sailing into the harbor. All the soldiers are standing on the, on the outer deck, and they just go on their knees because they just become aware that the atmosphere has changed. And what they want to do is repent. (laughs) And on and on and on and on. Catherine Kuhlman, who's used to speak in slow motion. She's the only person I know who speaks in slow motion. (laughs) She used to take 20 minutes to say, Come, Holy Spirit. Um Oh, and she used to move like this. She had a long robe on, and she used to, like, float on the stage. (laughs) Holy Spirit. But when she said Holy Spirit, everyone was like, (laughs) ah! Power. Amy Simpson MacPherson, a theatric artist, used to wear long robes and dance on stage. She used to have massive cast productions behind her. But people by the thousands would get radically born again and change the world as a result of her life. The revivalists did two things. They found the God of the scriptures in the scriptures. Number two, they prayed. Why? Because they knew they couldn't do it by themselves. They prayed ridiculous prayers. Ronald Bonkers prayed this prayer, Africa shall be saved in Jesus' name. With the raspiest voice you've ever heard, Africa shall be saved, and a German accent, Africa shall be saved in Jesus' name. And when the crowds became hundreds of thousands, he would say, Africa shall be saved. When he was a pastor of a church of 14 people in Lesotho on the border for seven years, and the church never grew in seven years beyond 14 people, Ronald Bonk, prayer was, Africa shall be saved in Jesus' name. When the hundreds of thousands of people were there, his prayer was still, Africa shall be saved, because hundreds of thousands is not even a drop in the bucket. And at his last crusade, because he died last year, he had 3.4 million people in one place. And the team that ushered the meeting was 100,000 pastors. Talk about impossible. Do you believe that that potential lies in you? If you don't, you should. But it's impossible. And that's why we pray. God, Milton will be saved. 100,000 people right here. 250,000 right here. GTA, how many million? How will it begin? You. Praying ridiculous prayers. No, God, not me. I don't have the strength and the energy. Start by redeeming a bit of time, make it holy and worship because you become like the one you worship. You don't even have to try. You just become like Him. Heidi Baker said, this is her prayer. God, I'll go where nobody else wants to go. I'll go. Now, she's raised so many people from the dead. Hudson Taylor, poor one man, transformed the face of China. Got on a train, I'll go, God, where no one wants to go. When we lived in England and Europe, there was a little booklet that Reinhard Bonnke distributed throughout the whole of Europe because he felt that God said he must do that. He went to a printing press and asked them if they would do it for him. They said no. He went to another one. They said no. The seventh one said, yes, we will do it. He printed a little booklet. Do you know that thousands of people got saved in Europe? But Reinhard had to ask seven printing companies And the funniest thing is that when he found the printing company, Reinhardt tells the story. We lived in a house with Greg and Carol Pierce, who was close friends with his personal secretary, Mrs. Hutton. She used to come visit us. She told us the story. When he found the printing press to print this little booklet of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he put into every house in Europe, including England, when the distribution process was done, God spoke to Reinhardt and said, Reinhardt, you weren't the first person asked to do this. You were the seventh one. Thank you for saying yes. One man. Super poor. Why can't we do it? You and me. Ask the impossible things. (laughs) Find God in Scripture. So we don't read the Bible anymore just to read the Bible because we know it's a good thing to do. My mom used to tell me that if you don't feel anything, it doesn't matter. It's going into your spirit. I guess that must be true. But when I found the Jesus I was wanting to find in the Gospels, it changed everything. And, and so sometimes we, don't, we shouldn't look to our peers. Sometimes we shouldn't look to our peers. We should look to the fathers and the mothers, if we call them that, who changed the world before us. Really. About three months ago there was a couple that came through here and after the service he came straight to me and he said, he started crying, he composed himself he said, we have been driving past this church for 15 years asking that God would unblock the well that John Wesley dug by building this church. John Wesley and George Whitefield, the fathers of a massive move of God through North America built this place a hundred and odd years ago, this cornerstone is out front. And he said to me, I can see that the well is unblocked. He turned around. I've never seen him again. Shook my hand and he was gone. Someone out there apparently has been praying for us for 15 years. 15 years. It's amazing. (sighs) If we go after renewal, you must know this you will feel like you don't belong in this world. And there might be times where you ask yourself, have I lost my mind? Because there are lots of, you don't have to look for naysayers. You don't have to look for naysayers. Because you will be challenging the status quo. All of these guys that changed the world suffered from something. It was called holy discontentment. They were fulfilled by Christ, and when they looked around, they were discontent. Why was it holy? Because they were holy. And that's what Peter says live holy lives as he is holy. How do we do that? We redeem culture, we redeem time, we create space. That's the renewal culture. It's a part. It's literally shaped by the biblical narrative. And so, I want to finish by reading this. We want to be anchored in the past because everything that we are talking about right now happened there. Jesus was two thousand years ago, and his disciples, and then subsequently, the churches continued to grow until today. And if you if you look at Barna's statistics about Christianity around the world, it, it's, it's super encouraging. How how. You know how, how things have changed, even now, the biggest moves of God right now on the Earth are exactly opposite to the biggest moves of God 50 years ago. It's Africa, Asia and India, the biggest moves of God on the planet right now. Revival is sweeping through those continents. Well I'm, I'm taking the, the, the liberty to call it revival. And, uh, and I want revival here in this place. I do. And you? Yes. right. So these guys, they were anchored in the past but we want to invest heavily into the future. You can read Hebrews 11 when you go home today. It's the most amazing scripture. Um, They understood how God saw them. Do you understand how God sees you? They prayed bold, ridiculous prayers. They took everything to God first, having the ability not to wait for man's approval. That is humongous. Humongous. If you're facing something that's shaking your foundation, what do you do? Do you call a friend? Are you that silly person that goes to Facebook and writes a big blurb about it? (laughs) Sorry for saying that if it is you. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. Or do you take it to God? If you know what God thinks of you, you'll probably take it straight to God, and there you will process it. Because if you take it to someone else, you create this expectation on others that basically reaffirms the shaky foundation that you're living your life on that God is trying to shake. Because everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So that what can't be shaken will remain. That's the eternal kingdom we're serving, right? They were people of the word, because they found Jesus in the word, and they understood that their lives would contribute to God's bigger plan. And with that I close. Remember this. Your gift is for the church. The church is not for your gift. Stop, think. Okay? When you come here, it's not so that this community can become a part of your plan, but it does. But it's so that your plan can become a part of God's plan through this community. That's anti-North American church right there that I'm telling you right now. We exist for those who are not here yet. You got it? If you get that, you will contribute to the renewal and the move of God in North America and you might still be alive to see it because it's got this momentum, it's got this momentous thing It, start, it starts to stir and stir and stir and stir and stir. And very lastly, it won't happen through events. It's not event driven, it's not program driven, it doesn't need smoke machines and bright lights. Well that's cool to have those things, There's nothing wrong with those things. It doesn't need great caffeine, it doesn't need great environments, it needs one thing. It needs one thing. You. It needs you and me. It needs us.